was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 3, Episode 13. Let's talk about assassins. Hello, everyone, and so glad to have you with us again this week. My name is Justin, and I have my good buddy Stephen here with me. Stephen, say hello to all of the listeners. Hello, listeners. Man, it is good to be back. It is. It's good to be back with you. It's good to be back talking Wheel of Time. Um uh, obviously, I know many of the listeners uh, have noticed that we haven't been around for, I guess, what, a couple of months now? Uh, since, just about two months, yeah. Yeah, since sometime in January or February. And I, I don't know, uh, we're in early April when we're recording this. I, I, I expect that we'll have this episode soon after recording. I can't give an exact date, but uh, whenever you're listening to it, that'll be the date that it's that it's available. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we've unfortunately had to be away for a, a little while because sometimes adult responsibility is the worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's uh, basically what it boils down to is life has thrown uh, some curveballs in our direction and it hindered our ability to uh, record and produce the podcast every week, uh, let alone to, you know, spend time reading and taking notes and all of the stuff that we have to do, um, in order to, to do that. We've been trying for a few weeks to get things back up and running. Um, uh, hasn't all gone according to plan, but now here we are. Yep. Uh, and it feels so good. I'm so glad to be back into this. Um, just a, a little note for those that are, are listening. We, we hope that uh, you've been patient waiting for us. We know a few have been have reached out uh, asking where we are, and uh, we're thankful for that. Glad that you were um, worried about us. Um, and hopefully we can keep uh, bringing this show to you for, uh, well, as much uh, book, as much story as we have left to cover. I, I would say a few years to come at least. Yeah. <laughs> so um, now for the foreseeable future, um, just because, you know, some of those curveballs are still in place. Um, we can't guarantee an episode every week. Uh, our, our plan right now is to record when we can, uh, as often as we can. Sometimes we may be able to go, you know, several weeks at a time. Sometimes we may have to skip a week, um, but we'll record when we can release when we can. And so hopefully before um, too much longer, we'll get finished with book three and then we'll see where we are uh, at that point. Eventually I think we will be able to get back into a more regular schedule, but for the time being um, it will be uh, maybe a little bit more sporadic 
uh, from time to time. But we hope that you'll be patient with us and come back to hear us and uh, read these wonderful stories with us whenever a new episode is available. Stephen, anything else you want to add? No, just reassure folks that we aren't going to just disappear. I know I've had my fair share of podcasts that I really enjoyed that just up and vanished. Uh, We're not going to do that. Uh, It may be, like Justin said, be a little more sporadic from here for a little while. Uh, But we are still, in fact, still here, still working on things, uh, still trying to get content out to you guys. Uh, Just be patient with us and we will get back to a more regular routine as soon as we're able to. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we have to, to, to eventually finish because this is, this is my ticket to finally finish reading this series. <laughs> uh, this has been so motivational for me. I mean, it's not that I don't enjoy uh, the books. It's just sometimes I'm not a very good reader and it would take me too long to, to get through a, a book. Um, but now I finally have something to, to kind of force me, if you will, and I don't say that in a bad way, but force me to uh, keep reading and keep going through uh, these wonderful stories. And I do want to apologize uh, for those that follow us on social media. I have really dropped the ball there. I've uh, been meaning for weeks to get something out to you guys and um, just haven't really done it. So I apologize for that. Hopefully we can be more um, be, be be doing that a little bit more as the weeks go on. And, um, as we get closer, maybe to getting back to, back to normal. Um, all right. I, I don't think I have anything else to say. Um, it's baseball season. That's new since the last time we were together. Yeah. Uh, and in longtime listeners will know that if there's a baseball game on while we're recording, uh, I am watching it. Um, I may or not, may not be doing that right now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the Braves are winning. So I'm happy, uh, at least at the moment. Um, Anyway, uh, I just alienated any Mets fans that are on the uh, podcast <laughs> or listening to us. So, um, all right. Are, are we ready to uh, try to get back into this? I hope we still know what we're doing. I am ready. <laughs> uh, you know what? Forgive us if this first episode back is a little rough. We will get back into the swing of things. Yeah. But uh, I think we're both and, just happy to be here. Yeah. And our, our recordings may sound a little bit different, too. We're doing that a little different as well. Uh, just things that had to had to change uh, as we go forward. But what are we discussing on this week's episode, Stephen? So this week we are covering chapters 32 through 34 of The Dragon Reborn. So any listeners out there that have not read those chapters yet, Hit the pause button right now, go read those chapters, and then come hit play again, and we will be here waiting to discuss these with you. But we don't want to spoil anybody, so go read first. Yeah, spoilers are the worst. They are. Almost as bad as White Cloaks. <laughs> but not as oh. bad as the Sanchan. Yeah, well, you know, you know, I kind of go back and forth on that. <laughs> uh, all right, well. Let's dive right into it, into chapter 32, the first ship. Matt was not kidding when he said that he meant to be on the first ship out of Tarvalon. Leaping onto the Grey Gull, Matt and Tom meet Captain Juan Malia, a Tyran man with a lot of opinions, but maybe not all his own. 
Noises in the night alert Matt to the presence of assassins, leading Matt to wrestle with his own actions and questions about his luck in the aftermath. Meanwhile, Rand sits somewhere by a fire, musing about strange occurrences and strange dreams that he has experienced recently. So maybe just a quick refresher of what's going on in our story, right? Matt is, well, has been in Tarvalin, um, recovering from his time with the dagger, correct? Correct. Okay, and the Aes Sedai kind of want him to stick around a little bit longer, but Matt's anxious to get gone. And I believe it's thanks to Nynaeve, Nynaeve, Egwene, and Elaine that he finally has his ticket out of town? Yep, he's got that signed document from the Omerlin that I'm sure she never in a million years <laughs> expected him to end up having. Uh, and, you know, now he, after his, uh, what I would call his luck bender of a night, yeah, he is ready to make tracks and get out of town on the first ship possible he he and he he was he was serious he said the first ship uh, i believe at the end of that last chapter he even said even if it's you know halfway sinking if it's the first ship out i'm on it yep uh thankfully the ship he does get on isn't halfway sinking so good good for that but he is on the first ship um out of tar Valley. now you had something here in the notes uh about matt that you wanted to bring up um uh just something i notice um at, and i think a lot of this too may just be because this is these couple of chapters are really the first glimpses we have into matt's pov yeah um but to me it seems like maybe there's a little more bleed through from the old memories of manetherin and that old blood and things like that because there he has a lot of like sayings and a lot of things that don't really make sense for him to have heard just growing up in the rural bumpkin town of two rivers. Okay. Uh, so, you know, and he seems to have like this whole set of rules that he's created for himself that, uh, you know, just kind of pop up out of nowhere that don't really, they're not out of character so much as they're just, they seem a little bit, more involved than what we've been led to believe Matram's Cawthon up, up life up until this point would have needed. <laughs> yeah. And so much of that has been, uh, the things that we're talking about are, you know, these memories that obviously are not Matt's memories. Yeah. Uh, some of them seem to be from, you know, again, some of them I think are pretty clearly from the time of Manetherin, uh, like going into battle and leading armies and, this kind of thing. And then there's this, you know, that whole thing of him constantly, oh, maybe not constantly, but occasionally, you know, blurting out in the old tongue. Yeah. So there's definitely something interesting, strange going on with Matt. Uh, so uh, I didn't really pick up on, on the same things that you did. I might have to go back and look at it again, but interesting that, that you uh, pull, picked up on that, made that connection. Yeah, he just, like, and how he handles when he gets on the deck, and how he handles dealing with the uh, the ship's captain and everything like that, and the wheeling and dealing, and it just seems a little bit, like, he seems much more at home 
than his life experience would necessarily lend him to be in dealing mm. with the money and dealing with like he has these rules that he sets in place like it never hurts to make sure you know that this person is paid with that or that this person thinks this yeah. about you know so it just seems like he's got a little more world knowledge than we really he should yeah i was i was just thinking he's more wise to the world than a kid who is only about a year out of the village would would have yeah that's exactly have. it right there yeah. he's more he seems to have more world wisdom than his experience would give yeah uh especially considering the majority of the time he's been out of the two rivers, he was in that weird possessed state with the dagger. Absolutely. So yeah, even, even most of that year, he, you know, most of that year is probably either at a blur or, or nothing at all. Yeah. As far as his memory is concerned. Well, we know for a fact that most of his memory of that from basically the time of shadow Lugoth till he shows, wakes back up in the tower. A lot of that is like Swiss cheese. Like, it's snippets and bits lot, and lot pieces. Of, a lot of holes in the memory. Yeah, and things yeah. where he doesn't remember it until something triggers it, and he remembers a little piece. Yeah. It's like somebody who's recovering from amnesia, just slowly getting pieces of their memory back. Right, right. Well, he, he does um, make his way onto the ship, uh, both he and Tom. It was quite a... Uh, uh oh what's the word i'm looking for not not adventurous but uh, uh exciting maybe um leap onto the ship quite literally dare defying <laughs> yeah yeah as, as the ship was was leaving the harbor they literally jumped onto the deck uh and were almost thrown overboard until matt started flashing his his coin yeah uh but uh Thankfully, it seems like, uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, Juan Malia. I think that's, that's um, on point. I, I, I think that's how it was pronounced in the audiobook, um, although that can differ from time to time. <laughs> um, seems like he's a man who, you know, isn't ashamed to, to enjoy money. And yeah. so when Matt started flashing the gold, he was not ashamed to take it. Yeah. And... Uh, even to the point of giving Matt and Tom his cabin and his meals. I mean, I guess if the price is right. Well, his he, you know, he's kind of almost bamboozled into it. Because given how Matt's dressed and how he talks, he thought he was dealing with some country bumpkin. And then, so he makes this out what to him, he assumes for a country bumpkin would be an outlandish offer. You know, five gold coins apiece. And then, you know, I think he's absolutely flabbergasted when Matt just, okay, <laughs> and just like it's nothing, yeah. uh, which I think then propels what uh, he believes about Matt going forward is that he couldn't possibly, with that kind of money, be what he appears to be. He must be a noble in disguise, uh, which is really hilarious because it's alluded to, and I don't know if you caught this or not. But I think it's alluded to the fact that he might think that Matt is actually Gowan in disguise. I didn't catch that. I mean, I, I recognize that he thought Matt was maybe a you know an Andorran noble or messenger of some kind, but I don't think I picked up on him possibly thinking he was Gowan. Yeah, they they mentioned the fact 
at some point that uh, the daughter heir and uh, like her, yeah, basically that the the son and daughter of the queen were in Tarvalin. So if it's he, he at least thinks that Matt is some kind of an Andorian noble uh, yeah. that is running basically a spy for Queen Morgays at the very least. Yeah, Be- uh, well, because there there are it seems rumors about something going on between Morgays and the tower. Yeah. Well, so, she left Camelin and marched all the way there. Yeah. Personally. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't I, know how, how much is known about what exactly is going on, but yeah. Uh, let me, let me ask you this. How much do you think Matt's success? Um, do you think his luck had anything to do with it? With the bartering with Malia? Yeah. Um, I mean, I we, think it's a result of his luck that he got the money and things that he had, but I don't know that I see it as any like supernatural luck. Okay. I think it was just good deal, good wheeling and dealing. Oh, okay. Because uh, I, you know, I I know that even even I guess it's towards the end of the chapter, but you know, he gets his dice out and starts rolling them, and it you know comes up the dark one's eyes. Yeah, but you know he's actually not sure if that's a winning toss or a losing toss because he doesn't know what game he's playing. Yeah, it's so, all about so, what game. You know, you know what what's going on with Matt's luck? Is it you know on the downward trend or is it just as good as it was all night? I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Um, one thing I did pick up on is uh, Captain Malia is a very opinionated man. Isn't he, though? <laughs> uh, very much so. He has things to say about... Uh, well, he has nice things to say about Andor. Uh, but that's probably just because he thought Matt and Tom were Andorian messengers for the Queen. Um, yeah, but even his compliments of Andor are begrudging. <laughs> and they're almost like backhanded compliments. Yeah, that's like true. He has to always insinuate that, yes, Andor does this right. But it's because... Oh, you, you've got you know, those mines. You have to rely on us tyrants. We have to actually go out and work for our money. Yeah. You know, it's all tier is always the best. Yeah. Uh, and I guess just to give us a little bit of, you know, insight into the politics of this world, his, his words for uh, Mayen and Ilion are um, filled with contempt. Uh, even going as far as saying that I think Mayen shouldn't even be a country and all of these plans that uh, apparently he has for Ilion, which Matt picks up on some <laughs> some problems there, but yeah, uh, but that's which, all. That's one of the other things that allude. That's one of those world knowledge things with Matt that I was kind of picking at earlier. Mm. Is Matt's you know realize like he starts running the numbers in his head all of a sudden yeah he's thinking like a tactician he, he is, i was just about to say he's thinking strategically and yeah. how how kind of foolhardy to do what molly is suggesting would be because yeah. he's like yeah all those people you have to feed them where are you going to find the granaries for that where he, he starts thinking about like all these like math and like resource issues that yeah. don't really you know it's just like, where is this coming from, Matt? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's in that conversation we get introduced um, through Malia to this character known as High Lord Salmon, mm-hmm. uh, who 
is first of all, just the way that Malia speaks of him to me, it almost sounds like a cult of personality kind of situation. It very much does. I mean, I feel like that's what's going on. Like this guy has elevated himself to, you know, this position and it, you know, what is it that, uh, Malia says he can speak so as to move a man beyond his own beliefs. <laughs> I, I found that extremely uh, interesting, uh, somewhat disturbing, and it may be a little too close to home in some cases, but uh, definitely the kind of uh, character you want to watch out for um, oh, definitely. in this situation. Say again? I said definitely. Yeah, <laughs> and and here's the other thing. Tom has no idea who this man is. Right. And, and Matt, you know, is like, oh, well, you can't know everybody. But Tom insists, you know, he knows the kings and queens. He knows the high lords. Yeah. And, and he's not the, so out of touch as to have missed one. Yeah. At the very least, he would think, you know, even if Simon was a new high lord, he would have heard about an old, an old one dying. So, yeah, uh, all of that, plus the... Um, just the things that he says, I mean, it was really his idea from what, what, what I gather from reading it, all of that stuff that, um, Malia was talking about doing to Ilion, uh, all actually came from, from High Lord Salmon. He's spouting, it's, it's basically, it's almost like a, uh, it's propaganda. He's exactly. spouting propaganda is what it yeah. is. And he, he's uh, not really thinking so much about what he's saying. And even when he's called on it, he's kind of like, well, that's what Lord Simon says, you know. Yeah. Uh, he's very quick to shift course on that, on, on a number of things. Uh, and then, of course, there's his opinions about the Aes Sedai, mm-hmm. uh, which I actually had marked and, and thought it would do us good to read that. Sure. Um. <clears throat> which of course we we if we if we know uh, at least from what we've heard in the past we should expect uh if malia is tyron uh he's not going to have fond feelings for the Aes Sedai. no um and, and he even says uh that you know he's never really been comfortable docking in tarval and he does it pretty much because he has to because it's business but then he goes into all of this stuff that um, that uh, the Lord Salmon says. So says the High Lord Salmon said the Aes Sedai meant to rule the world. Salmon said they meant to crush every nation, put their foot on every man's throat. Salmon said Tyr could no longer hold the power out of its own lands and believe that was enough. Salmon said Tyr had its rightful day of glory coming. Tar Valen stood between tear and glory. There's no hope for it. Sooner or later, they will have to be hunted down and killed. Every last Aes Sedai. The High Lord Salmon says the others might be saved. The young ones, the novices, the accepted. If they're brought to the stone, but the rest must be eradicated. That's what the High Lord Salmon says. The White Tower must be destroyed. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's even... Uh, you know, a moment he kind of, you know, almost like he didn't even realize what he was saying and, and even kind of corrects course is like, I, I I think that may be going too far myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then gets into him talking, you know, moving a man beyond his beliefs. So, you know, first of all, just again, the cult of personality feel. Um, yeah. But 
Yeah, this this guy, I don't know who he is, but he sounds like uh, he could be a problem. Yeah, um, definitely. So, uh, you and, know, and this is something we see in the real world throughout history. Charismatic men rise to power and the, sway the masses, and it's amazing what can how dangerous one person can be when he gains a following like this. Absolutely. And we we've seen that, as you've said, many times uh, throughout history. I'm not going to start naming names. Uh, some we would agree on some, we probably wouldn't. Yeah. But, um, if you just look back through history, you can see that, um, it's a valuable study. Um, so, uh, so yeah. And, and the fact that all signs seem to be pointing us in the direction of tear, um, makes me want to be even more cautious uh, about this individual. Yeah. So, especially, and you know, it's a bit of a early warning for us because we know where those girls are headed. Right. As, as I said, like all, all signs, you know, all, all paths seem to be leading in that direction. I know uh, some of that will come up later in this chapter um or not this chapter but the next chapter so we seem to be heading there on multiple different fronts yeah and uh there there could be some some trouble in tier we'll have to wait and see i suppose yep um let's talk about assassins yeah <laughs> that's always a fun uh fun conversation to have isn't it yeah um first of all i Am I correct getting the impression that at least one of these assassins that kind of interrupts in the middle of the night were the ones that were following Matt throughout? Yes. Sarve Island. Okay. Yeah. And we still don't really know what these guys were on about as far as I, as far as I'm aware. I think we can pretty well surmise that they're dark friends. Okay, well, I mean, I guess that would make sense, but then the question is: is where did they come from? <laughs> yeah, or or who sent who 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 put them on Matt's trail? I guess I have some possible ideas, uh, yeah. maybe. But uh, here here's my big question: How did they know exactly where to find Matt? Ah, so I think it seems a little more mysterious than it probably is. Okay. Uh, here's my rationale. Uh, Matt and Tom did not make a stealthy escape from the docks at Tarvalin. They made sure they made quite a scene. The dockmaster that they talked with knew who Matt was. He knew exactly which boat they were getting on. It would not have been difficult for anybody that was following Matt to ask a few questions and find out exactly what boat they left on. Okay, but more more specifically. How did they know he would be in the captain's cabin? Okay. Again, <laughs> I think it's uh it's you have to do a little bit of mental gymnastics here, but I do think it has a reasonable explanation. Once they come back, once Matt goes up onto the deck, uh, and he's going after the assassins that are on the deck after he's taken out the two that are down below. Yeah. Uh one of the things he notices is that the man who steers the ship yeah. is dead at the till. Right. It wouldn't, it's not a big leap to assume that the assassins snuck on board, threatened the guy, asked where they were, and then killed him. Okay. Uh, that's at least where my mind goes. Because <laughs> uh, otherwise, it does seem a little bit weird. 
but I think it has a reasonable explanation there. Um, at least to me, anyways. That's where my mind goes. Uh, okay, I, I guess that makes sense. I mean, um, I don't have a better explanation. Yeah, I just I was just curious. You, you know how 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 they would know. You know, I guess. Uh, I guess where I could have been going is, you know, maybe there being like a mole or something on the ship and passing on information somehow. Yeah. I just don't know that there'd been enough time for that. Okay. Uh, You know, because they've they've literally only been on the boat, what, maybe an hour or two at this point? Uh, Uh, Maybe a little bit longer than that, I would would think. I I don't know. It's hard to tell. Um, Long enough for... Long enough for Tom to start snoring. True. And they ate a meal. So, yeah, I guess it has been several hours. Maybe maybe three or four, maybe a little bit longer. I don't know. Um, yeah. So. But it would be, even for Matt's luck, it would be a pretty crazy stretch. His luck would have to be so horribly bad at the moment for him to choose the one boat that just happened to have a dark friend already on it that was mm. willing to tell the other assassins when they got there, hey, yeah. go here. You know, the, the, in my mind, it's a lot more reasonable to assume that they just got it out of the guy before they killed him. Yeah. But if Matt's luck has run out. True. As as we're, we're made to wonder uh, a yeah. couple of times in this chapter. Of course, Matt is, um, uh, I guess we can finish up with Matt just by talking about how distressed he is by the things he has to do. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, you know, never really physically harmed anybody in his life. And now by the end of this night, he's killed what? Three, four men, something three, like that. I know of possibly a fourth. Yeah. So, uh, he, he wrestles with that. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how much more we can, we can say about that. I mean, it's pretty clear. Um, It it just, again, shows his, his nature. Uh, He's not just okay with that. Even though these were people who were trying to kill him, he's still remorseful at what he had to do. Yeah. Um, Which I think speaks volumes of his character. Cause some people would just be cold. If somebody came after them, they'd be like, yeah, serves them right. They got what they deserved. Right. Well, you know, taking a life is, is not an easy thing to do. Not that I know from any personal experience, Yeah, <laughs> but, um, you know, I've, I've heard many people who have been in that situation and had to make that decision say that, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So right. even, even like in self-defense. So, uh, definitely want to keep an eye on Matt and, you know, his, uh, mental, uh, state going forward, yeah. uh, but we're not going to get to do that anytime soon. Nope, because even before this chapter ends, we're going to jump perspectives. Yeah, we're shifting point of view, and we're going to talk about Rand for a minute. You had a couple of things you wanted to mention about Rand. Of course, he's uh, last we uh, left him, he's just on the on the run in a way. He's traveling cross country. Um. Seemingly on his way to tear because of the prophecies. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't been an easy time for Rand either. No. Uh, and a couple we have of things. To... Yeah, go ahead. 
we we have to kind of insinuate some of what's going on with Red right now because for the first time we're not really getting much in his point of view. So we get snippets from him here, uh, but we have to kind of draw some conclusions about you know what's been happening over the long term as he's been traveling and whatnot. Um, for me, I just feel sorry for Rand right now because it's like he's he's isolated himself. And he's on his own, and even his dreams can't be trusted anymore. Yeah, that like, was that. That's pretty messed up. Yeah. Um, you know, people, um, people he knows and loves trying to kill him, even in his dreams, or at least that's the way it appears to him. Yeah. And he he and, wrestles with that quite a bit. Yeah, even when it actually is Egwene. Yeah. You know, when we see her in that scene a couple chapters ago. He can't trust that it's her. He has that moment of pause, and he talks about that in, in this little section. He's thinking about that, but yeah. he doesn't know who or what to trust anymore because the last time he, you know, he last time he trusted a dream, it almost killed him. That's right. So, um, and and that that's part of the reason all of that happened with Egwene is because he had already had a a few of those dreams. Yeah. Um where somebody he loved was trying to kill him. I think even men in one of them, which um, was very shocking to him. Yeah. And he doesn't even understand why yet. Like, I think it's, it shows there uh, people criticize Jordan for his writing of romance. Cause they don't think he does the best of jobs, but it's Rand is kind of feeling around with the idea that he maybe has feelings for men because he talks about how for some reason it hurt most of all, when it was her, but he didn't understand why that would be the case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, he's still young. He is. <laughs> uh, I remember having those kind of feelings when I was young or yeah. I'm still young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had one other thing here. Well, I had a couple of other notes about Rand. First of all, uh, Celine is still visiting him. Uh, yeah. Still offering him glory. Uh, this time it's through Calendor, not the Horn of Valier. And then he had a dream about Egwene, Nynaeve, and Elaine being snared in nets and being hurt by someone. Yeah. So just a couple of notes there that I think are worth mentioning. I don't know uh, how much more can be said there. Um, what else with Rand? Uh, anything? Um, just a continuation of his inner struggle. Yeah. You know, he he's doing what he's doing because he feels responsible and he feels like there's a duty that he has to fulfill, but he still isn't convinced despite everything that's happened, despite the fact that, you know, Hawkwing and all the legendary heroes think of him as the dragon, uh he's still internally just not ready to jump full-heartedly into the fact that he is the dragon. Like he still has this grain of doubt, and it's a willing doubt. He wants it to be false. You know, why wouldn't he? Because the dragon is this horrible villain to the world. He doesn't want that destiny, but he's struggling with it. And you yeah. can kind of see that here. He's going back and forth, uh, which I think is what's guiding him right now, because he is, I think what, you know, everybody else is chasing him to tear because they you know, or wherever he's going because they think he's trying to fulfill some prophecy or do something, this or that. And I think what he's actually trying to do is disprove prophecy. Okay. I think what he's hoping is 
he will make this attempt at whatever he's going for and fail, and fail. therefore proving that he's not the dragon so he okay. can go on about his life. Yeah, because he's he's trying to convince himself, you know, that he had to let them proclaim him. Yeah. So he, you know, he he's he's still not fully convinced in his own mind that it's true. So I think that that's a perfect uh, assessment uh, you've got there. Um, so I'm I'm in, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Shall we move on to the next chapter? I think we should. Yeah, <laughs> we've been, we took quite a bit of time on chapter. Yeah, one we, here. we've been on chapter uh, chapter thirty two for a while. Chapter thirty three within the weave. Perrin and company continue to cross country following Rand, finding regular reminders that they are still on his trail. Some villages have suffered, others have prospered, and the town of Remen has seen its share of excitement as well, though it's unclear if it's tied to Rand. Whether Rand has been there or not, other things begin to weigh on Perrin's mind as he learns of things that are happening in the town. So now we, we pick back up with Perrin, who we haven't seen in a little while, and he is with Moraine and Lan and Loyal. And they're, as I said, pretty much trying to track down Rand cross-country. Yeah. And they keep coming to all of these villages where, you know, the uh, I remember, I believe, in the previous chapter we read with Perrin, uh, they came to that village where, you know, all the weddings had taken place. Yeah. Um, like every woman who could get married was getting married, even like the old uh, widow who said she would not remarry. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and but they keep finding things like that uh, along the way. But first, there's something curious at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, you want to you want to take that for us? Yeah. Karen smells a weird smell, uh, and it's... there's an odd marking that they don't yeah. ever outright say what the marking is, except that Perrin says that it's not like an, a dog or a wolf could leave a mark in stone. Yeah, but it looks like, kind of looks like a dog's footprint to Perrin. Yeah. But obviously, you know... It'd be one thing if this was like poured concrete and, oh, maybe the animal just stepped in the concrete while it was wet. No, this is stone, hard stone. Yeah, this is out of the earth rock. Yeah. Um, um And there's this kind of, I think the smell is described as being sulfurous. Yeah. So that Perrin, even at one point, entertains the idea, oh, maybe some kids just, you know, got out here with some Illuminators fireworks. Yeah, and, but he and also... that's where the smell is coming from. He also says that on a on a level that it, something about it just smells wrong. Yeah. Like, not just that, oh, this smells like a rotten egg, sulfur smell, but something about it instinctively in his brain, and I think it may be the wolf part of his brain, yeah. just thinks this is a wrong, like it shouldn't, like there's something going on with this smell. Yeah, but again, he's trying so hard right now to press down the wolves <laughs> yeah. that he's looking for any excuse to come up with a rational explanation, and that's why I think he jumps to fireworks. Right, and and again, that's probably just a case of he's trying to, you know, convince himself that it's just something mundane. Yeah, that it's not anything out of the ordinary, even though deep down, 
he I think he knows it is. Yeah. Um and yeah, all of this he's still struggling with the wolves, still not sleeping. I think he's still afraid to let himself go to sleep. Right. Um still not sleeping well. Uh but plenty of evidence that they're on ranch trail. Um I don't know that we need to you know give all the details of all the villages that they've been through. That's in the chapter. If you uh, have read it, you know, Uh, some of it good, some of it bad. Yeah. So that brings a a very important question, Stephen. Okay. Is the pattern good or evil? Hmm. (laughs) Uh, Uh, And of course I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the little, the conversation that, Perrin and Moraine have on this journey about the pattern. Yeah. Uh, what is it, the exact quote that Moraine uses? It's the uh, uh, the warp and the woof. Let me find it. I can, I can read it if you want. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, Perrin is concerned because some of the things happening seem to him to be evil. Um, but it makes no sense to him that the pattern could be evil. Uh, down a little bit more, it says Moraine was silent for a time, warming her hands. Finally, she spoke while staring into the flames. The creator is good, Perrin. The father of lies is evil. The pattern of age, the age lace itself is neither. The pattern is what is. The wheel of time weaves all lives into the pattern, all actions. A pattern that is all one color is no pattern. For the pattern of an age, good and ill are the warp and the wolf. The wolf. Um, and even riding through the late afternoon sunshine three days later, Perrin felt a chill <laughs> when thinking about those words. Yeah. Uh, so it's... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish what you're going to say. I, I was just going to say. Uh, it seems that you know Moraine is saying what Moraine. Well, what Moraine does say is the pattern is what is, and it's people's choices. Uh, and, and and this is kind of interesting to me because we we've talked a little bit about fate and what people are destined to be, but at the same time, this this has a a um a ring of free will to it of the choices that people make being the weave that makes up the pattern that it itself is neither good nor evil uh but the things that happen as often as the result of people's actions um or in the case of Taviran I guess they're just being uh is what makes the pattern so that's kind of where I where I was thinking. Yeah, I think it helps, and I think this is part of Perrin's problem right now too, uh, is that for so many people, even in this world, not to mention the folks of us reading it, when we hear people talk about the pattern, and you know, the I Sedai like to use the phrase "the wheel weaves as the wheel wills," they ascribe this uh, like purpose and will to the wheel and the pattern itself. Yeah. Um, which I don't think is necessarily correct. Um, what she alludes to here is yes, the creator is good. 
the dark one is evil. Uh, the wheel is simply the mechanism that the creator created that keeps things spinning. It is it think of it like a computer program that was set in set in place and it was given certain directives and parameters that it's supposed to see happen. It's not choosing good, bad, evil. It's just setting up the dominoes so that they fall in a certain pattern. Men's choices can completely alter that pattern. We've seen that when they experienced multiple lives. Uh, mm -hmm. There's Even though Rand is the dragon, even though Rand is prophesied to do this, this, and that, there is nothing stopping him from going out into a countryside and ending his own life. Okay. There's nothing stopping him from going off, living out the rest of his life in isolation while the rest of the world burns. The wheel isn't taking free will away. It's just using the choices that are being made and shaping the pattern and the flow of events around those choices. Uh, it's the people making the choices that changes how the pattern is going to be woven. Because the pattern is just taking the threads, the choices that are used, and using them as best as possible to achieve its outcome. But it, in the end, it really boils down to the individual choices of the people. Mm -hmm. Not some supernatural force. Because uh, even with the Taviran nature, just because a Taviran is pulling on you and may sway you to a decision or a certain path, it can't turn somebody who's dipped in the wool, dark friend, evil to their core, is not going to suddenly become yeah. a white cloak. It's still, like, it's, it's still, still ultimately with, your decision. Yeah. It's just, even Tavira nature is just pushing you towards certain things that you may already have been leaning towards anyways. Uh, it's just more strongly pushing you towards that by changing events around you to pull you that direction but it is not ever overriding your free will and the pattern isn't either the pattern isn't just because bad things are happening it doesn't mean that the pattern is making the bad things happen right it's just shaping itself around the choices that are being made yeah so that, that's that's interesting and so you know that that's a great way of of describing it um you know and Honestly, I, I don't know that we have time to get into this, but I think there are many parallels there to our own world. Um, you know, so much of what we see, it it comes down to choice mm -hmm. uh, of an of an individual, and you know, uh, what happens shapes itself around the choices that we make, um, which is both a beautiful thing and a scary thing at the same time. Yeah. Um, to think we have that much power, but at the same time, uh, <laughs> that we do have the power to choose uh, our own way. So, um, so let's move on to Remen. <laughs> uh, interesting town. Uh, kind of a strange smell there as well. Um, which, I, I, if I remember, um, you know, and 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 number one, it's it's not a fade or a trollic that that Perrin smells here. Yeah. Uh, it is something foul, something that just smells wrong. And and we've kind of experienced this before, haven't we? Of of Perrin smelling something, 
you know, that seems wrong, but not, I'm not talking about earlier in this chapter, but earlier times in, in the story. Um, um. I feel like there have been other moments like that where Perrin kind of senses something that's not, you know, not yeah. shadow spawn, but just seem, or at least not shadow spawn that he knows, but just seems wrong. Um, yes, <clears throat> I think, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember what specifically it was. I think it may have been Patton Fane. I, I feel like uh, there was something else, though, because, because, you know, I think we discussed that before because there was another instance where I was wondering if Padden Fane might have been what he was sensing, but then he knows Padden Fane's scent true. because he spent so much time tracking him in the previous book and even passing that on to the wolves so that they could help track him. So I feel like there's something else that maybe we're not uh, aware of yet. Yeah. That are, or maybe it's, Maybe it's Rand. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's something going on with Rand that he's not he's not familiar with. That's uh, possible. Uh, but that's just a small thing of of what we have going on here in Remen. Um, yeah. We get into town. There's a man hanging in the cage in the middle of town. Yeah, with kids throwing uh, rocks yeah. at him. Kids are throwing rocks at him. Nobody really seems to care. Um. Something about him seems familiar to Perrin, but he can't quite put his finger on it at first. Um, we got a a, a a a plump innkeeper, so that's good. But but I I want to say this. I wanted to bring this up, <laughs> and I think this was a pure accident that that this came up. Um, I when I was typing some notes, uh, you know the 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 innkeeper's name is Gainer Furlan. And thanks to a typing accident, I, I realized that his first name, Gainer, is an anagram for Aganor. <laughs> <laughs> so even though he's a plump innkeeper, should I be worried? <laughs> um, wow. I don't know. I, I'm 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 a little bit concerned. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, well, I that, don't know. I don't really. Agonor the innkeeper. It, Agonor right, the innkeeper. Hey, you know he he's got to have a job too. Sure. Um, yeah. No. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff going on in Remen. There are hunters of the horn. Yeah. Um, uh, some of whom are just the seem the most upstanding of gentlemen. Um, great storytellers. Yeah, and Perrin doesn't believe a lick of their word from the word go. Neither does Land. suspicious, yeah. <laughs> so. uh, I, I love that moment, you know, when they're talking about fighting off, I think it was a, like a dozen of their men fighting off 20 Aiel. Yeah. Uh, and Lan just, you could tell by the way Lan's responses described that he wasn't having it. No. Um. Uh, yeah. But that was an informative moment, realizing, you know, when he hears about the Aiel that were in the area, that was the um, that was the moment it clicked for Perrin, why the man in the cage seemed familiar. Right. He's an Aielman. Yeah, they met an Aielman 
in the passes of Kyrian yeah. when they were searching for the horn. Yeah. An Aeolman in a cage. Mm-hmm. Why does that sound familiar? Oh, let's think. <laughs> it could be... Uh, oh, there's this little pixie of a girl named uh, Min who likes to say things. Yeah, she she uh, she sees things around people. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that was one of the things she saw around Perrin and Aielman in a cage, a turning point in your life. Yep. Um. Yeah, uh, it seems that one of uh one of men's viewings seems to be coming into fruition here we at this point we don't quite know what's going to happen all we know is Perrin recognizes that this man is Aiel and that it relates to what men had said yeah um so only I... other thing i think worth mentioning in this chapter is the uh uh, the girl that had her eyes on Perrin. Yeah, creeping uh, him out. Yeah. Something horrible. Um, you know, everybody else is, you know, fascinated that there's a lady in town, not realizing exactly yeah. who Moraine is. They were uh, fixated on the Ogier, but this one individual had eyes only for Perrin. Um, and he he's he's quite curious yeah um finding out who she is um well that went that chapter went quicker than i thought it would <laughs> yep uh, so we so have one more to dig into yeah let's let's dive into chapter 34 a different dance after some time in his room perrin seeks some answers for moraine before engaging in another endeavor out in the dark town square the aielman is now free but it's not long before the worst kind of company shows up Perrin hates every moment that he has to fight, but he fights to survive alongside this Aeoman. But when the fight is over, Perrin realizes he was being watched, and Lan says it's time to get out of town. Uh, yep. Well, I had a few things in this chapter. Um, very first part of this chapter, we find out that some fellow over in Gildan is talking about the coming of the dragon reborn. Yeah, can, before we get to that, though, I think we need to uh, draw, I, at least I want to make mention of for a second, the fact that Moraine almost has a heart attack when she hears, <laughs> when they announce, oh, That's true. there's another dragon. <laughs> like, uh, no, she no, almost not... comes undone. <laughs> yeah, no, not a not a false dragon, but someone talking about the dragon proclaiming the dragon's coming i think is the way yeah because the innkeeper misspeaks in the beginning and says uh pro uh proclaimed the dragon in gildon and she's like because her whole thing is that once ran because ran's the dragon now that he has proclaimed himself all the other ones will fall away and the pattern won't do that so yeah. if there was a new dragon popping up that would be a like a huge red flag to her that maybe Rand isn't the dragon. Maybe he is just a channeler and she's basically let a channeling man loose on the world. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't really think about that, that implication of it. Excuse yeah. me. I didn't really so think about like, the, that implication of it, but yeah, for a minute there, I can see this like 
sheer panic in Moraine. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's like, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it doesn't take long for Perrin and Lan um, to figure out who this man in question is. Yeah. Uh, it's our old friend Masima from uh, Faldara. Yep. And he seems to be, he, he's, he's preaching the gospel of the dragon reborn. <laughs> yep. And Moraine is not happy. Nope. She, uh, I put in my notes, less than thrilled. <laughs> yeah. Um, she is fiercely upset and, um, yeah, is gonna let Masima have it. Yeah. Uh, the next time she sees him. Uh, Perrin is going through all of the, these emotions, these feelings. Uh, he's afraid to go to sleep. He's, his thoughts are preoccupied with things that are happening in, in, in Remen. Um, and I guess he needs some answers. Yeah. And, um, he also needs to learn how to wait yep. after he knocks on a door. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is, you know, typical Perrin. He gets in his own head so much that he yeah. forgets. He loses sight of what's happening around him sometimes because he's so deep in his own head. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he just walks on in. He just walks right in. And uh, Moraine is less than decent, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Perrin apparently sees some things that uh, he's quite embarrassed about. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Perrin, um, any even, you know, and he, he, pat, he, you know, he says, oh, I thought Lan would be here. Um, even if you thought Lan was going to be there, Perrin, it's just polite to wait until you get an answer when you knock on yep. the door. <laughs> um, but through this, we do get a little insight into what the next move might be. Um, mainly how are you know how are we going to follow rand right and moraine thinks uh well he could keep going across country he could go down river uh you know it's it's pointed out in the chapter that even on foot because they they had found his his dead horse a few days before even on foot he was still staying well ahead of them and um they got to have a choice to make whether or not they're going to keep crossing, going cross country or down river. So there is something here. Okay. Before we move past it, uh, with her referencing and the fact that Rand keeps seeming to stay ahead of it, she says, I could almost believe that he had discovered how to travel, but no, if he had, he would just be like, we wouldn't keep finding a trail. He would just be gone. Yeah. Do you think that there is something else going on? with how Rand is keeping ahead of them? Or do you think it is, as she said, he simply has the blood of long walkers in his well, veins? You know, I picked up on that when I was, when I was listening that, you know, he said that some, something about the, uh, the blood in his veins. And I, I don't know. I mean, even, even then I would think them being on horseback, they would still be able to eventually catch up to him. Well, if think of wasn't what something the blood going in his veins on. is alluding to, though. That, uh, yeah, that, that was the point I, I was, I, I, I had kind of 
drawn that conclusion um as well about about him being Aiel. Yeah. Because um, from what little we know so far of the Aiel, they don't ride horses. No, they don't. And yet they seem to be able to traverse the world pretty well. Yeah. But still you would think a, a horse um I mean you you would think a horse would ultimately be faster than human being on two legs, but I don't know. I well, guess it depends on how they're riding too. It it also has to deal with the fact that one, horses have to take different types of paths. That's true. Than a person on foot because they'll slip, they'll lose a shoe. You know, there's more to think about in that kind of terrain. Unless you're on an open road, you can't use the full speed of the horse. You're basically at a trot. So what you're not, what you're doing when you're traveling like that with a horse, you're not really gaining speed. You're just not having to wear yourself out. You're letting uh, the animal do it for you. Hmm. And they're stopping at night and camping and doing, you know, everything that goes with that, like searching for their meals and doing, you know, they're traveling at a certain pace. Whereas Rand's all by himself, I doubt he's doing much sleeping. Uh, and so I think he's probably, you know, marching on into the night after they've well and truly stopped for the night. Okay. Okay. But there is also the op- the possibility that there is something going on with the power. Yeah, I mean that's the way it felt to me is that there is something may there may be something power related going on. Yeah, and I do uh, have a theory about that, but we can't touch on that until probably the next book. Okay. Well, then we won't talk about that right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I do. I, I think we, it is mentioned that uh, I think Moraine, her intent is probably to go down river and, you know, sail to, to and arri- arrive to tier by boat. Yeah. Uh, no, she doesn't know if she'll get there before Rand or not, but if, if she doesn't beat him there, she intends to be there soon after. Yeah. Um, but Perrin because has I- his own plans. Yes, he does. Um, he doesn't like seeing people in cages. No. And but can, we do need to mention the whole reason he went in there, talked to Moraine in the first place. It has to deal with this girl. That's true. Uh, and I think it's Moraine's response to it is kind of hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you know, uh, <laughs> she some, just gets this some like girls, glitter some girls in her like, eye. Like, yeah, some girls like broad shoulders. Yep. <laughs> like... Of all the things, you you barge into my room. You're all up in a tizzy because a girl looked at you. Yeah, really, Perrin. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he's so uneasy. There's so many things going on, you know, and and I mean, his immediate concern is that she could be a dark friend. Yeah, and you know, given the situation they've they've been in before, uh, I can't blame him for that. No, but at the same time, yeah, probably not you know, the most pressing matter to barge into a room the way that he did. Yeah. Um, but back to Perrin, not liking to see people in cages. Um, long story short, he lets the Aiel men out of the cage that's in the middle of town. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a conversation, uh, we, we introduced to Gaul of the Imran sept of the Sharad Ail, um, and he names himself a stone dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we really we get a lot of I guess we get a lot of detail about uh, 
Aeo culture and a little bit about some of their prophecy as well. Um, they call people on this side of um, the mountains, outside of the waste, uh, wetlanders. Right. Um, and he seems uneasy by even the thought of a river. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I mean, you think about it. You grew up in basically the waste is like a desert. Yeah. So you grow up where the smallest amount of water is a treasure. And then you come to this land that is literally lush and green and water so big you can't see across it in places. Like yeah. it is mind boggling. <laughs> and and the people here are so comfortable with it. They just walk right in. Yeah. And go swimming yeah. around in it. Yeah. Uh and that that really upset upset Gaul. Yep. <laughs> uh it just completely threw him off. He was not uh he was not prepared for that. No. Um so yeah, that's that's an interesting little uh little glimpse into their culture, their customs. Yeah, uh, and you know, his his introduction of himself seems to be it's very formal. Yeah. Um. So what were you going to say? Uh, just bringing up the fact that Perrin is remarkably loose lipped with Gaul here. Like, you know, oh. they're all hiding these secrets and everything. And like the minute Gaul makes mention of the fact that he's looking for he who comes with the dawn. Heron's like, oh, not, oh, that's kind of interesting. No, he's yeah. like, he's not here. I know where he is. Heron's <laughs> <Or at laughs> just like, sharing at least, everything. <laughs> at least I know where he's going. Yeah. And that, that just prompts further conversation and more revelations about these people. Yep. Uh, they're, they're the prophecies that they have um, about the Stone of Tear. Yeah. Uh, that they would only when the stone falls will they come out of the threefold land yeah. and be made anew uh, yeah, be changed says they'll be changed and find again what was theirs what was lost yeah um so it seems like a lot of prophecy is pointing us towards tear correct because the the prophecies from this side of the dragon wall um I think that's what the mountain range is called. Uh, uh, the spine of the world. Spine of the world. What? Where am I think? Where am I getting dragon? Dragon from? Mount is the mountain where Luz Theron okay. died. That's right outside of Tarvalin. Okay, this side of this side of the spine of the world. Um, we we you know we have this prophecy about Kalendor. Yeah, which is kept in the Stone of Tear, but then in the Aiel Waste, they have their own prophecies. Uh, about the stone of tear so all of it's again all you know everything's pointing in that direction yeah which is an interesting thing and i think i really like that jordan plays with this is that the prophecies that like swan and moraine are working off of are the prophecies of the dragon which were specifically prophecies that were made by Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. And but to them, because they are Aes Sedai, to them those prophecies are the prophecies. And I think Jordan is showing us here that 
there can be multiple cultures and multiple uh, histories of these people, and they all have their own prophecies, and yet they're all relating to similar things and in different ways. Yeah, I think it's a down, a detriment to the Isonai here. They are losing sight of another section of knowledge because they are assuming that they have the answers in their prophecies. They never bother to go and look to see what other cultures might have. For all we know, there's a whole other set of prophecies in Shanchan and a whole other set of prophecies in, you know, certain places outside you know there could be other places and say outside. The, the, the sea folk could have their own prophecies yeah uh but the i said i yeah. don't really put much stock in all that because they've got their 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 way is their way is the right way yeah and any other way is not even worth taking a look at yeah so um but i just love that jordan decides to bring in the fact that multiple cultures have prophecies of their own and they shape and are all interconnected. Everything is like, it's one world, but these different cultures see the world differently Yeah, and their prophecies affect them differently. They're all sure. individual. Like the IEL prophecies directly impact the IEL. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's so much like our own world at the same time, because you know, we are a world of different cultures. We are a world of different uh, ideas and uh, faiths and belief systems. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, there are differences, but there are also similarities in, in different ones. So um, it's very it's a it's a very mature view of the world, I think. I agree. So um, we're learning things. <laughs> uh yeah robert jordan is is teaching us some things um but i i, I love i love you know it's one of the things i love about us having these discussions because it really helps to bring some of that out for me um yeah. when we're when we're talking about uh these stories otherwise you know yeah you can read this book and just enjoy the story um but i think there's there might occasionally be some deeper deeper thoughts deeper meanings yeah. Um, well, this all culminates in the arrival of some of my favorite people. <laughs> um, actually, before we get to that, uh, I feel like we need to mention, or maybe it's after the fight. Um, it is after the fight, so we'll we'll, we'll come back. White cloaks show up. Yeah, and um. Heron and Gaul pretty much have to fight for their lives. Um, Gaul seems to be able to handle himself pretty well, even without weapons. Yeah. <laughs> um, the biggest thing for Perrin is, you know, he is truly fighting for survival. Uh, he doesn't, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Matt a little bit earlier that, you know, he's not, he doesn't enjoy what he's having to do and it yeah. really bothers him, but I he think, knows it's the only option he has at this moment. Yeah. And I think it really bothers Perrin even more so than Matt. Like, I think Matt, 
you know, and obviously we still have that to be seen, but I think with Matt, he's able to rationalize it. Like, yes, this person was going to kill me. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know, it's troubling him, but it's not with Perrin. I think he is such a person that does not want to harm anything. Yeah. That it really weighs on him. Anytime he has to take a life, especially with that axe. Yeah. Well, that even goes back to just, you know, his, you know, his years in the two rivers where it talks about, you know, because he was larger, you know, obviously working as a blacksmith and, you know, he always had to be more careful. Yeah. Had to be more gentle uh, to avoid hurting people. And I think that's that carries over into what we see here. Uh, He doesn't want to hurt anybody. But at the same time, he doesn't want to die. Yeah. So, um, you know, he has to do what he has to do. Now we get to what I wanted to mention before. Uh, Perrin comments on how well golf fights. Yeah. And is, uh, and I, I forget, I think it said there were like maybe maybe a dozen white cloaks um, that, that they fought here. Yeah. And so Perrin remarks, how could 12 men, even if a couple of them were hunters of the horn, how could they have fought 20 Aiel in one? Yeah. To which Gaul says, uh, no, there were only two of us and we were careless. <laughs> yeah. They were caught uh, off guard. Yeah. Uh, so that is the only way, which I, I believe Gaul's companion was killed and he was captured. Yeah. But yeah, it took 12 men and, you know, favorable conditions for them. And those 12, <laughs> not all of those 12 survived. No. Multiple of them were killed. <laughs> you know, we've seen the condition that these hunters of the horn are in. I mean, they're like, oh, you know, they're all wounded and banged yeah, up. Yeah, they're, they're banged up. So it's just like, good gracious. Yeah. It really drives home how formidable the IEL are. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't wait to see more of them. Yeah, uh, it's going to be exciting to uh, to see more of the IEL fighting. They are formidable people. Yeah, and uh, should be fun. Anyway, uh, this chapter ends with uh, Gaul running off into the night. Uh, but Perrin realizes he's not alone. Yeah. Uh, that girl who had been watching him in the common room is now kind of in the darkness at the edge of the square. Um, but she kind of disappears, not in like any kind of supernatural kind of way. She just, you know, kind of fades into the darkness and he can't find her. And then land shows up. Yeah. And, uh, none too pleased. <laughs> yeah. It's time to get out of town. Yeah. We, we got to go. And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. And uh, talk about your cliffhangers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, especially, you know, as as long as it's taken us to, uh, you know, get this recording done, you know, that being the last thing that we read, uh, that's been a, a hefty cliffhanger for quite some time. So, yeah. But hopefully soon we'll be getting over that and we'll find out what happens next. I'm looking Uh, forward to it. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Um, not really just, uh, excited to get going with things again. Um, 
I really love uh, Chapter 34, everything to deal with the Aiel. Like, yeah. it's this opening. We've seen little hints at them, you know, when we saw them in the last book. But this really is our first little doorway into the world of the Aiel. And I just love it. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm really looking forward to getting more into their story. Uh, I'm anxious to see how these prophecies uh, play out and uh, where we go next. Yep. Uh, and who is who is that mysterious girl that that <laughs> likes Perrin's shoulders? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, to our listeners, we want to say thank you for joining us. If you are listening, that means you have stayed subscribed or have stayed uh, connected to us on social media in our absence. And we want to especially say thank you for that. Thank you for being patient with us. And we, we do ask humbly that you continue to be patient with us in the weeks and uh, in the next few months as we, we try to get back on track, but things may not be as uh, regular as they once were. Of course, when we do get to record new episodes, uh, they be, re, will be released still on Tuesday. So you can be looking forward to that. And when we do release new episodes, I will put out um, social media posts uh, so that you will know that those are available. Of course, uh, the best way to know when a new episode is available is to subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, and Please, if you would leave us a rating and a review, if you can do that, um, that'll especially help us out to uh, continue spreading the word and get more listeners. And, you know, we just want to hear from you. Uh, we want to yep. hear what you think and how things are going. Um, you can interact with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, still have a YouTube page. At some point, we'll get that going. Uh, a little bit more. Um, and we're also on TikTok. All of that, uh, those uh, handles are, should be in the show notes. You can find us there. You can also email us at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. So, Stephen, what are we going to be doing for the next episode? Uh, we will cover chapters 35 through 37. All right. So. And looking forward to that. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to be back with you sooner rather than later. Thank you all so much. And we'll say good night and see you next time. Y'all have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye.